Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 135, Dump Him. Today's proverb is commonly attributed to Edmund Burke. I'll read it twice. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Once more. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. This saying is a bit of a paradox. Who are these good men who do nothing? Good men don't do nothing, do they? Aren't good men men of action? Aren't good men active? Aren't they vital? Aren't they involved? If these good men do nothing, what is it that makes them good? Isn't doing nothing sloth? Isn't sloth incompatible with goodness? A proverb cannot be read as a mathematical theorem, though. If you want to understand the nothing which good men do, or the nothing which good men are tempted to, look no further than the Book of Acts. Consider Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a member of the Sanhedrin. And he hears about the Christian teaching. He hears that the apostles are teaching that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, or is the Messiah. And the rest of the Sanhedrin is itching for a fight. 
They don't like this. Gamaliel is not itching for a fight, though. And he says of the apostles' teaching, if their purpose, if their work is human, it'll fail. But if their purpose is divine, nothing will stop them. And so Gamaliel's advice is do nothing. I think Gamaliel is pretty smart. Let's do nothing here. If what they're doing, if the teaching of the apostles is merely human, it's not going to last. Human things don't last. They come and they go. Evil always ultimately fails. Though Gamaliel is not talking about evil, he's just talking about human things. Secular things, worldly things, mundane things. Garden variety things. Just dumb human things. Human things ultimately fail. Incompetent people ultimately fail. Incompetent people ultimately lose their jobs in the end. And so if the apostles are really incompetent, if they've misread Jesus, let them say whatever they want to. It won't last. It's a fad. And Gamaliel essentially says, let's not lose our minds trying to stop something that's going to stop itself in a couple weeks. What Gamaliel is describing is simply the way that fads work. It's the way that trends work. There's no point in trying to stop a trend or a fashion, a fad. Fads stop themselves. Why bother ourselves? This is essentially Gamaliel's question. Why bother ourselves to stop a fad diet? Fad diets don't last. They go away in a couple months. They're very popular for a short time. They work a little bit. They don't work great. People lose interest. Easy. You don't need to go to war with a fad diet. They phase out themselves. Remember fidget spinners? Remember how fidget spinners were going to cure our problems of ADHD? What children really need to help pay attention in the classroom is something distracting. This is obviously stupid. This is not going to last. And a teacher can either go to war with parents over fidget spinners. Or you can let them die a quick death through loss of interest over the next month or two. Why go to battle with something that's not going to last? If it's divine, there's no point in going to battle with it. If it's divine, we will wreck ourselves fighting it. Thus, Gamaliel. In the meantime, when we're trying to figure out what it is, or when we're waiting to see whether it's human or divine, we've just got to live with it. And that's something that apparently in the book of Acts, the whole Sanhedrin is willing to do. All right, we'll live with it. We'll live with the teaching. 
there are many people that are willing to live a lot of their lives in the meantime. And when I say in the meantime, I mean waiting for the obnoxious things of the world to phase out. And in the meantime, you've got to put up with a lot. You've got to deal with a lot. You've got to just grit your teeth and wait for incompetence to reveal itself. If the apostles are incompetent preachers, if they are incompetent theologians, they'll phase out. But we've just got to let them be incompetent until everyone else realizes that this message they're preaching is pointless and it's ineffective and it's not true and there's a mountain of evidence against it. Never mind. We're not interested in hearing about Jesus anymore. In the meantime, you've just got to put up with it. And there's a lot of people that are willing to live with a lot of putting up with it. Some people are willing to live their whole lives putting up with it. And that's what this quote is about. This quote from Burke, attributed to Burke, is not about fads. It's not about fashions. This quote is about when good people misdiagnose something which is truly bad as merely a fad. Doing something not only requires action, it requires a change of mind. Again, the quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Doing something requires action. It requires getting off the sofa. But getting off the sofa requires a change of mind. Doing something requires the decision to do something. The decision, the recognition that this is the time to do something. And so doing something is physical, but it is absolutely intellectual as well. And what good people are tempted to say is, I'm just going to let this go. And there are many occasions in which just letting it go, like Gamaliel, is the right thing to do. But the fact that saying, I'm just going to let this go, is often the best way of dealing with stupidity, incompetence, evil, doesn't mean that it's always right. Picking your battles carefully means deciding to go to battle. There's a lot that has to happen on an intellectual level before a man gets to the point of saying, you know what, I'm not just going to let this go. It's very hard to change your mind. There is something about a healthy mind that makes it hard to change. The fact it's hard to change a healthy mind doesn't mean a healthy mind should never change. There's a lot that works against changing your mind. In fact, the closer you get to changing your mind, the harder it becomes to actually change. It's a paradox. The closer you get to changing your mind, the more difficult the actual change becomes. Think about a woman 
was a bad boyfriend. Set up a scenario where someone needs to change their mind. So let me put this forward. There's a woman who has a bad boyfriend. You already know, with that premise, you already know what this woman needs to do. He's a bad boyfriend. What makes him bad? He is disrespectful. He takes her for granted. He assumes that she is going to cook for him. He assumes that she wants to go to the restaurants that he likes, that she wants to watch the movies that he likes. He's bad. He's insulting. He's belittling. And as a man, he just doesn't have his act together. He's sort of handsome. He's got sort of a decent job. But he's also a mess. He's ill-mannered. He's bad manners. He's never there for her. His friends don't think much of her. And he never sticks up for her when they denigrate her. He lets his friends walk all over his girlfriend. And he'd much rather go out with his friends than spend any time with her. And yet, he still expects her to drop whatever she's doing whenever he needs her for something. And she stays with him. He won't genuinely commit to her. But he does buy her nice presents from time to time. He does not buy her nice presents on her birthday. He buys her presents whenever he feels guilty about something that he's done, but he never changes. He doesn't praise her. He doesn't tell her she's pretty. He's critical. If she ever suggests that he ought to change, he freaks out. When she says to him, I wish you were around more, he says, it's not your place to say that sort of thing to me. I will tell you what you must do. You will not tell me what I must do. He's not abusive, though. Which means that the decision to leave him is much more difficult. There's no need to call the police here. She couldn't call the police and tell him, he hit me. He never hits her. And he's not outright abusive, even with words. He's just not a good boyfriend. He's not a good guy. He's not a criminal. But the decision to leave him is not cut and dry. And so this woman tells her friends about her boyfriend, even though he's told her not to discuss their relationship with her friends. And she sort of hesitantly describes to her friends how he treats her. And when she describes the way her boyfriend treats her, she's not praising him. She doesn't adopt a tone of praise. And she's not criticizing him. She's sort of just putting it out there neutrally. Just to see what her friends will say. Is this normal? Is this, is this what the modern woman has to expect from a boyfriend? And when she describes the way that her boyfriend treats her, 
to her friends. Her friends say, leave him. Dump him. He's terrible. There's way better men out there. Why are you sticking with this guy? He's awful. And she says, yes, yes, I know. But, but people always think the grass is greener on the other side. And her friends are like, it is. Not always, but this time. He's a jerk. Jill, dump him. Find yourself a man who respects you. And she says, yeah, he's not a jerk. He's got his problems. We've all got our problems. I am not a perfect girlfriend. I forgot our eight-month anniversary three weeks ago. And her friends say, you could find someone way better than this guy. You're not, you're not married to him. It's not a divorce. You've been dating this guy for years. Find someone better. You could find someone. We have found better guys. <laughs> we all date men who are better at being boyfriends than the idiot that you're dating. You could find someone better. And she's like, oh, could I? I don't know. I don't know that for certain. And it takes her a while to admit that he's a bad boyfriend. Deciding he's a bad boyfriend is the first step to leaving him, but it takes a while just to get to that point. That's a hard realization to reach. Is he really bad? He's not bad. This is what she tells herself. Bad is such a... Bad is such a final judgment. We're all a little bad. He's not all bad. He's good looking. That matters. He owns his own house. That's impressive. She doesn't want to date a guy who lives in his mother's basement. At the same time, the fact this guy owns his own house isn't doing her any good. Because... He won't commit to her. He keeps her on a short leash, which is a kind of commitment, but not really. Keeping someone on a short leash can be mistaken for a commitment, but it's not. Admitting that he's a bad boyfriend isn't enough for Jill to leave him, though. She could decide he's a bad boyfriend and stick with him. Leaving him is what requires a real change of mind. And as the reasons stack up for why she should leave him, she has to double down on her commitment to him in order to stay. And this is not a philosophical point I'm making here. It's more like a technical point. It's more like a mathematical point. The more reasons you have to leave, the harder you have to work to rationalize staying. Happy people in happy relationships don't have to rationalize staying because they're not thinking of leaving. They don't have reasons to leave. But the more reasons you have to leave, to leave a guy, to leave a church, to leave a religion, to leave Mormonism behind, the more spiritualized the commitment becomes. 
And until you reach the tipping point, until you change your mind, the reasons you have to leave are your enemies. They are opposed to you. All your reasons to leave are against you. They defy your reason for sticking it out, for staying the course. The burden is heaviest right before you change your mind because you've got more against you right before you change your mind. As soon as you change your mind, everything that was against you a moment before is for you. And that's that tipping point when you go from everything being opposed to you and holding you down to everything that was opposed to you lifting you up. And so the split second before that decision, before that change happens, is the hardest moment. It's the most vexing. It's the most painful. It's the moment that's fraught with the greatest psychological agony. And this is all even more true for Christians. The girl in our story is a Christian, which means that she spiritualizes her reasons for staying with this dumb guy. The more reasons she has to leave her lousy boyfriend, the more she has to deny herself. Staying with him means developing the virtue of long-suffering. It means being patient. If she leaves, she's impatient. If she leaves him, she's a perfectionist. She's an egotist. What she needs to do, she convinces herself, is stick it out, pray he'll change. Do what she can to change him. Even though he's absolutely resistant to change, won't even admit he needs to change. The more reason she has to leave, the more noble she is for staying. Besides, there's so much to be said for staying in place and working through problems. When Jill decides to leave, though, every reason that was against her leaving is suddenly for her. I don't remember where, but I've heard that Chesterton claimed that the final hurdle to any sort of conversion no matter what the conversion was, if it was truly said to be a conversion, the last step before conversion was death. Every real conversion requires you to give up everything. Every great change of mind requires you to give up everything. In order to change your mind, you have to be willing to die. And that's what it feels like for this young woman with the bad boyfriend. It's what it feels like for everyone who's leaving Mormonism behind for Christianity. Everyone who's leaving one denomination behind for another. It feels like dying. Everything that was for you is now against you. Everything that's against you is now for you. In the end, Jill leaves him because he's a lousy guy. He doesn't deserve a girlfriend. In the end, common sense prevails over the abstractions of a theologized relationship.
He never put a ring on her finger. She's not being unfaithful to him. She's giving him what he deserves. It's just that she leave. She was tempted to do nothing. And good people are tempted to do nothing. She was tempted for years to do nothing and suffered needlessly for years. But she saw that doing nothing was making things worse. Year after year, doing nothing was making things worse. It was making him even more brazen. And so she has to do something, as contrary as it is to the human spirit, as contrary as it often feels, even for good people. She had to do something. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.